Welcome to the St. Helena Podcast, where we talk anything St. Helena. We cover everything from great island experiences to how we can make a good story go viral, one podcast at a time. Have you got a St. Helena experience, a topic to discuss, or a story to share? Do you want to join the podcast conversation? Reach out to us. Let's talk St. Helena. You can email us, podcast at welovesthelena.com or find us online. This is your podcast creator and host, Johnny Klingham. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another St. Helena podcast. In today's episode, we discuss a key project that could potentially change the way of life in St. Helena in many years to come. The topic for discussion is the delivery of the subsea fiber optic cable that is scheduled to be landed on St. Helena by the year 2022. As we are slowly approaching that change from capped data and slow satellite connectivity to a possible high-speed scalable data connection, there has been many discussions and speculation in both local media and online around the cable delivery and implementation from both the authorities and also the end users. It is no doubt from these discussions, it clearly shows that St. Helena faces many challenges to make the right decisions today in order for every household and business user to enjoy affordable internet in the future. Today's guest on the show is Christian von der Rupp, who has led and consulted on many technical projects around the globe. Christian, who is a subject matter expert in modern telecommunications, feature networks and innovative technologies. Christian, who has visited St. Helena, lives in Germany. Although I've never met Christian in person, I have on many occasions chatted to him, sharing ideas about possibilities on St. Helena. I first spoke to Christian over 10 years ago when he asked me would I consider returning and living on St. Helena if there was an affordable internet service available. Today, I invited Christian along to the St. Helena podcast to share his views on the subsea cable project as he was the originator who actually started the online awareness campaign about getting an optic fiber cable connected to the island. Although this podcast touches on many interesting aspects of the project, my first question I asked Christian was what first gauged his interest in St. Helena? Hi, Johnny. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak today to you. So before I start, just let me mention that today I'm talking to you solely in my non-profit role and um, all my views expressed on my own. I got interested in St. Helena more than 10 years ago when one of my schoolmates spent uh, 10 months on the island after graduating as an aerospace engineer, actually. Uh, while there, he continued working on a satellite project for which he developed the software, but had big issues with sending his work back to Germany due to the um, slow and, and unreliable internet and the more frequent power outages uh, uh, that uh, still happened then. Um, so intrigued by what I'd seen and heard about Centelina, I followed the developments on the island and then in uh, 2011 I learned about the airport project and the huge investment associated uh, with the same. In the very same week, I also found out that the South Atlantic Express Cable would pass the island closely on, on its route from Cape Town to Fortaleza. And I wondered whether there had been any considerations to, to actually land it. And I thought in the light of the massive spending on the airport project and the, and the plan to attract tourism, better connectivity, 
would be quite useful for the socio-economic development of the island and actually a necessity. So out of pure curiosity, I, I wrote emails to SHG, the company behind the uh, ZAX cable, um, and SHG stated that the cable landing was beyond their financial reach and an E5 from the, the company behind ZAX uh, initially did not respond at all. I somehow found that annoying and then in early 2012, so um, eight years ago, decided to do something about that. So I launched this website you mentioned, con connectcentralina.org, proposing to lend the ZAX cable and, and highlighting the various uh, socioeconomic benefits. Um, my hope was that decision makers in, in Westminster and Jamestown would realize this uh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and, and put the necessary efforts into unlocking the same. Um, but as you'll be aware, it took more than six years from then until the funding was secured in another one and a half years before um, the deal was, was inked. And I'm really happy uh, that this has uh, finally happened. So today uh, on St. Helena, we have uh, satellite uh, data connectivity to the island. I want to talk a little bit around how does that work, what we have today. As we all know, the, the satellite link connecting St. Helena to the rest of the world is, is not very fast, to say the least. Um, actually, slower than what in the UK single subscriber can get. I'm sure I have not disclosed the, the bandwidth of the satellite link, but it's believed to be in the ballpark of 100 megabits, and it's shared by a population of 4,500 people. Uh, actually, 100 megabits is, is what my broadband connection gives me for my uh, personal use. Uh, so if you have to share this with 4,500 people, performance obviously is strongly impaired. The problem with today's satellites is that uh, they have their antennas and so their capacity focused to the land masses where there is certain population density and associated uh, revenue opportunities. So issue number one is um, there's not too much satellite capacity technically available to Centralina today. Issue number two for Centralina is the competitive situation. Uh, as Sure have uh, confirmed in their radio interview last week, the limited availability of satellite connectivity in the South Atlantic uh, leads to high pricing for uh, Centralina's international connectivity. And, and when we look at local connectivity, it even gets worse because there is obviously a monopoly uh, which leads to even higher pricing. So right now, consumers on Centralina have to pay the toll twice, uh, first for local connectivity and then additionally for the shared um, satellite link. Issue number three is that, with one exception, um, all existing broadband satellites are in geostationary's orbit today. Uh, that means they are aligned in a belt some 36,000 kilometers above uh, the equator, which corresponds to roughly three times uh, the Earth's diameter, so pretty far out there. That implies that a signal from Centralina travels 36,000 kilometers to the satellite and another 36,000 kilometers back down to a ground station in the UK. And then the response has to travel all the same way back. So um, this journey of, of more than 140,000 kilometers in total introduces a, a um, noticeable delay of uh, roughly half a second, which you can immediately uh, notice when you're speaking to someone over satellite. 
But also when accessing the internet or using apps, every single interaction is delayed by half a second, which may not sound much, but it is annoying for the user at least and making some applications difficult or even impossible to access. Um, and that is a problem, particularly for any cloud-based services. So the submarine cable will cut this latency from uh, 500 milliseconds to just 40 milliseconds. That will be the latency from Santolina to Cape Town and roughly 90 milliseconds to Portugal, uh, which is the other end of the Equiano cable. And, and neither the 40 nor the 90 milliseconds uh, would, would be uh, noticeable. So um, eliminating the delay and bringing it to a really high or low level. So actually, just when I launched the campaign to connect Centralina, um, a new satellite constellation called uh, O3B was uh, in the process of, of launching. Um, and this constellation is actually orbiting much closer to Earth um, at roughly 8,000 8, kilometers, uh, which reduces the aforementioned latency and increases bandwidth. Uh, so O3B is, is that one exemption uh, in terms of lat latency in the satellite industry today. Um, and uh, actually, uh, back, back in 2012, we also explored the possibility to connect Centralina through O3B to improve internet speeds on the island. But it turned out that over time, the cost uh, of this satellite um, system would have been very similar to lending a cable. But with one big difference, O3B could not have delivered more than one gigabit to Centralina, while the cable will initially provide 100 gigabits uh, and can be easily upgraded to a multiple thereof. So the cable will bring a huge abundance of, of capacity. That not only means that there will be more than enough capacity available for the decades to come, uh, this also bears the opportunity to resell the excess capacity and so make the cable pay for itself. As you might know, the problem with the cable is not only the, the initial cost to lay it, which obviously will now be um, funded by the European Development Fund, but there will be recurring costs for its uh, operation. Um, the, these recurring costs were a big headache and one of the reasons why DFID were extremely skeptical of the cable project. Um, this is why in July of 2015, I think, I was asked by SHG if there was a way to, to cover these costs and bring them down. And by that time, I had already found an interesting example which served as, a, as an inspiration, and that's uh, Svalbard, um, our Norwegian archipelago in the Arctic Ocean. Um, and Svalbard um, got a submarine cable in 2004 worth uh, $40 million. And the primary purpose, and this is the interesting thing, was not to connect the population, but a satellite ground station there. Uh, and actually, there is an increasing, a rapidly increasing number of satellites in low Earth orbit. Um, so satellites um, that orbit in typically just a few hundred kilometers above us. And these satellites, because of their low altitude paired with uh, Earth's curvature, have a very limited view, view towards Earth. And due to the laws of orbital mechanics, uh, they have to circle Earth at high pace. Typically, such satellite would circumnavigate Earth within 90 to 100 minutes. 
And during those orbits, they can only send the gathered data down to Earth while passing over a ground station. And today the problem is that we face a bottleneck right there. Um, there's simply not enough ground stations. And as a result, some satellites discard up to 90% of the valuable data that, uh, they collect. So based on the example of Svalbard and the fact that the number of satellites in low Earth orbit is expected to increase at least seven times in the next decade, uh, I wondered if we couldn't attract ground stations um, to St. Helena as well, so, so that satellites passing over the South Atlantic could, could send their data down to the, to the island from where it would be forwarded through the cable um, to the various operators overseas. So in 2015, in, in July, I started approaching uh, satellite and ground station operators to see if they would be interested to install antennas on Centralina and, and lease capacity from the cable by which they would contribute to the operating costs of the cable. Um, luckily, within just two months, I had collected seven expressions of interest and with the help of, of two MPs, Lord Valve, uh, who is a live peer, and Andrew Rosendahl, uh, we then successfully lobbied DFID, who funded a feasibility study. Although eventually it was the European Development Fund which um, paid for the cable, this feasibility study came to the conclusion that with those ground stations leasing some capacity from the cable, the project would become economically viable. Luckily uh, for St. Helena, since 2015, the satellite industry has been booming uh, like never before, and the amount of interest in ground stations is, is quite considerable, uh, so actually um, growing. Uh, so the concept of, of making the cable pay for itself and by that make internet access much more affordable for islanders uh, can become a reality. Interestingly, while in the past um, uh, St. Helena has spent a lot of money on satellite capacity to satellite operators, uh, now the, the tables can be turned and the satellite operators will eventually subsidize the cable and, and so pay for Centralina's telecoms and for its international link. So from a more um, abs abstract perspective, Centralina uh, will no longer be a terminus in, in the global network topology, but uh, it will become a, a hub connecting the submarine cable network to space and potentially also attract further submarine cables, which, which could interconnect on the island and form a, a hub, a mid-ocean hub, which has happened in other places in the past, like Hawaii, Guam, Puerto Rico, and, and Cyprus. Interestingly, we are, as we speak, we still have two cable cuts off um, the coast of Angola. So two major submarine cables along the, well, the west coast of Africa are, into, on, are out of service right now. And uh, this, this highlights the need for new diverse routes in the South Atlantic and, and uh, Santalina could become the central hub for this. So satellites will, will continue to have an important role for Centralina, but, but in a different way, now as a customer rather than as a, as a provider to the island. It's really interesting. So that says to me that uh, uncapped data for a business on Centralina is something that is a must. The Centralina government announced that the contract had been signed uh, with Google for the Equiana cable uh, delivery. But they mentioned in the press release and something I picked up that phase one of the project was signed. What does phase one means? Well, 
as you know, on Christmas Eve, um, the submarine cable project um, was um, inked, so the final contracts, binding contracts were signed. Um, Equiano, this the submarine cable to be laid by Google, will stretch from Portugal along the western coastline of the African continent to South Africa. Uh, the play, the plan is to lay some ten branches from the trunk cable to the uh, to the African coast and some islands as well. The problem is that in some countries there are high regulatory barriers and it can take ages to secure lending rights. Um, unfortunately, overcoming those regulatory barriers is not very easy in, in some of the um, involved countries. And just as an example, um, there's one submarine cable, the um, ACE cable, Africa Coast to Europe, that was landed in Africa in December 2017 and is still not operational because of um, regulatory uh, difficulties there. Because of these potential delays, uh, Google um, have split up the project into two phases. One is basically the initial laying works of the trunk cable from Portugal to South Africa with all branches which um, have been cleared by local regulators by the time the cable ship departs. So Santolino will be included in phase one, so receive the cable at the first uh, earliest possible point of time, while other nations will receive the cable in a subsequent laying operation um, in, at some point in the future. So Santolino, uh, in any case, is included in phase one, and will receive the cable um, at the earliest possible. You talk about laying the cable. The uh, MV Fergro Gauss, I think I've pronounced that correct, visited St. Helena on the 18th of August just to do the survey. What uh, Was the survey successful? Has there been anything published to say, yes, this is a goer, we have no problems in and around St. Helena or even en route? So the, the MV Fugro Grouse, uh, which called its Centelina in August, has performed what's called the Marine Route Survey, or MRS for the Equiano cable and some of its landings. Before you lay a submarine cable, you literally need a clear picture of the seabed, uh, as you want to avoid undersea mountains, trenches, sometimes shipwrecks, or other uh, objects. Uh, that is why, as a first step, these highly specialized vessels are deployed, uh, which use sonar to map the seabed and all sorts um, of data related, related to the same. Uh, based on the collected data, the cable vendor, which in this case is Alcatel Submarine Networks, or ASN, then designs the cable and begins production. And um, as you can imagine, it, it takes months uh, to produce a cable of close to 11,000 kilometers. Uh, and that's just a trunk cable without the various landings, which uh, will probably uh, add another uh, few thousand uh, kilometers. So I assume that the uh, survey uh, went well. Otherwise, the cable ship would have remained uh, in Centralinian waters. Uh, what can we learn from other locations that have had cable connectivity to replace slower connectivity as in what we're trying to do in Centralina? Well, there are plenty of examples throughout the world, particularly in Africa and across the Pacific Islands, which uh, have seen transformational change through the arrival of, of submarine cables. Um, I think there are huge opportunities and the effect on Centralina could be even bigger than elsewhere for the 
uh, simple fact that uh, level of education is, is much higher in St. Helena. People are literate, uh, speak English. Uh, you have reliable power supply and uh, many already own internet capable devices. Uh, so all the prerequisites are to use the many opportunities uh, of the global information society uh, do already exist. And I think uh, SHG is doing a fantastic job with um, the Centralina Connected Task Force and the education that's being offered to islanders in, in preparation of, of the cable. But as a matter of fact, uh, there have also been several cases where cable projects have not delivered the anticipated change, uh, but have left people frustrated. Uh, and these should serve as, as a cautionary example to Centralina. Uh, that was particularly the case for a few island nations in the Pacific, which got grant funding for their submarine cables from the World Bank uh, or the Asian Development Bank. Uh, internet access uh, has remained unaffordable, unaffordable because cables have remained underutilized, leading to a vicious circle of underutilization and unaffordability. The reason for this is always the lack of competition on the local telecoms market proper regulations and effective regulatory oversight. And that is exactly the situation we have on Centralina today. It is extremely important to realize that the success of the internet and the huge digital economy, economy that it has enabled was only possible because of the technological advance. But equally important have been the fundamental changes it has had on the commercial side. Old business models uh, have been replaced in, um, by new ones. Uh, one example is how Skype, WhatsApp have replaced traditional telephony. And so has the cost for voice calls basically dropped to zero. Under the current uh, regulatory regime, however, with, with a monopolist dictating pricing and service quality, these changes cannot happen on Centralina. And as a matter of fact, sure, with their recent media campaign show very strong opposition against uh, these changes, um, they clearly say that they want to retain their monopoly and continue with their 20th century business model in the 21st century which is a major obstacle to the submarine cable project and all the prospects that it can potentially open up. You mentioned earlier in your opening that you listened to Shaw's radio interview. Shaw claims that St. Helena is too small to market or even to allow a competition. What is your view? Well, when you look at this recent media campaign, it is obvious that uh, sure are in panic mode and, and panic causes mistakes. Uh, but let me start with this false picture of this themselves uh, they've painted as a big and long-standing supporter of the cable project. As a matter of fact, they have for a long time opposed the project publicly, claimed it was too expensive, despite they have admitted in, in their recent interview that until today, they don't know the cable's economics. Um, and also, they have pretended to, to support the cable um, uh, only when they realize they can't stop it. You would expect different from people who claim to have their hearts uh, in the right place and, and uh, don't stop underscoring their altruistic deeds for the island community. Um, when sure say the Centralian telecom market is too small to allow competition. I, I contest that gravely and firmly, and that's for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is there are plenty of examples, including Montserrat, 
and uh, many Pacific Island nations, most recently the Cook Islands, who are similar in size and have proven that competition is absolutely possible even uh, with such a small subscriber base. And there are even better examples in Africa where you have the so-called village telecoms uh, serving just a few hundred customers. Um, reason number two is uh, Centralina got its submarine cable as a gift, basically, from the European Development Fund, by which international capacity will become so much cheaper and the single largest cost for a telecoms provider on the island will reduce dramatically. So the cable changes the economics of telecoms provision fundamentally. Reason number three is uh, there are several parties interested to build ground stations on Centralina, as I mentioned before. And if they actually come, and that very much depends on the regulatory regime, their bandwidth utilization will eventually exceed that of the population by orders of magnitude. So there will be a demand equivalent to tens, if not hundreds of thousands of subscribers. And what counts is not how many subscribers there are on the island, but how much bandwidth will be consumed and then accordingly how much revenue can be generated. Uh, that will eventually help uh, amortize any infrastructure investment, be it the cable, the submarine cable, or um, the uh, infrastructure on the island. And um, what I found particularly ridiculous by Sure is that they blame the lack of competition in the South Atlantic as the cause for the high cost of their current satellite capacity and lament that there was no bargaining possible but a take-it-or-leave-it situation. And at the very same time, they demand to preserve their monopoly and exposing Centralinians to exactly this unacceptable take-it-or-leave-it situation. So they complain being hostage of the current satellite operators, but ask islanders to remain their hostage. Then uh, it goes on that they um, say they had such difficulties to recover the investment for their mobile network of £2 million. Uh, this and other investments is why they have to charge what they do. But the question is not whether these investments justify the costs, but whether should make the right business decisions, decisions and investments. They acknowledge themselves that the 4G network cannot be used to its full capability today because um, the satellite link is so slow. And so you have to ask, why did they invest in the 4G network then? Wouldn't the, the, the 2G layer have, have been sufficient? And as you know, that two networks working concurrently right now. It's 2G and 4G, two layers, and, and the 4G um, seems you know, to be uh, oversized. And this highlights the huge issue here. As long as there is a monopoly, science will have to pay for the consequences of any wrong decisions made by the monopolist. If they burn their money, they simply charge it to the customer base. There is no penalty for them. They can shift any risk to their customers, and there is no disciplinary mechanism that would stop them from that. And, and when they argue that these tariffs have been approved by what's called the Electronic Communications Consultative Committee, or ECCC, you, you have to ask if, if it has always made the best decisions, and you also have to question if there is enough expertise in this field on the island to staff such committee appropriately. Uh, and in this context, I, I want to point out uh, to the Falkland Islands 
which are a warning example in many ways, as they had great regulatory troubles during the past few years uh, that show that even with what they call a regulator, such can remain toothless tiger. Actually, the Falklands have had some uh, more elaborate but still inadequate uh, regulations in the past. And under these regulations, they were supposed to set up a telecommunications appeal panel or TAP that would deal with customer complaints against Sher. Uh, but less than two years after creating this uh, panel, a re review found that it, um, and I will quote the review from here, the TAP is not fit for purpose. This is due to the cost of implementation, the difficulty in finding and appointing truly independent experts in communications, and the disproportionate amount of resources, both financial and time, which would be required for FIG to establish such a system. And it is, it is an intrinsic problem of small island nations to create an efficient and competent regulatory body. And as a matter of fact, on Santalina, such does not exist at all. Sure, actually confirmed in the interview that currently SAG had not the capability to monitor their service quality independently themselves. And, and that said, I don't think that Sure's tariffs and service quality has been monitored properly in the past. And I don't see how this could be ensured in the future for the simple reason that it is not viable for Centralina to create a competent regulatory authority. The next faux pas in, in the Falklands was their domain name system. So those servers that make sure that any email address or website ending with a .fk domain name can be reached in the internet. The Falklands uh, government has delegated the operation of these DNS servers to Sure. And there are a few basic rules how to operate these servers uh, set by ICANN, an organization administering the domain name system globally. Uh, one of those rules is that you should operate multiple servers in different locations to make sure at least one is reachable in case of local internet outages. However, Sure did not decided not to obey this very basic rule and placed um, just two servers instantly on the very same network, which uh, not only led to a four hours outage in April 2019 when, when Sure had their last big maintenance glitch. Uh, that also affected Centralina, but by the way, but that also meant that the Falklands violated the rules under which they were assigned the top-level domain by ICANN, which could have led um, to to the loss of the .fk domain name. And then the regulator, the Falklands regulator, stepped in only after a gentleman called Chris Gare runs a blog about telecoms in, in the Falklands at www.openfalklands.com, wrote four articles about this gross negligence by Sure, And this once again shows how the regulator in the Falklands simply lacked the technical expertise while Sure did not care about a very basic industry standard just to save a few hundred quid for renting a redundant server somewhere overseas. And when Sure claimed in the recent interview that they would continue investing in the network uh, because they want to keep up with international standards, I could not help but burst into laughter. 
they are far from meeting any international standard. And that is also a big barrier to the plan to attract satellite ground stations to Centralina. Any company that would invest millions in satellite antennas to communicate with satellite constellations worth hundreds of millions or billions will not make uh, themselves dependent on a company that announces maintenance works to be performed during bright daylight just two days in advance and that accidentally breaks the international links for a full four hours because of a maintenance glitch. So um, the way they operate is, is not carrier-grade service that is considered international standard. Uh, and I've, I've rarely heard so many contradictions in such a short time frame as in this interview. But I also found remarkable how it should justify the high prices, but by the fact that they were operating independently from the wider group and therefore would need to maintain every single function the company has on its own, um, on Centralina. Particularly, they mentioned legal functions. I've not heard about a legal person working for sure in Centralina, but shortly later, they mentioned in this interview how important it was to leverage services and share resources across sure group. So, so what's going on here? Are sure indeed sharing resources across a group? And is it untrue that they need to maintain every single function on Centralina as they claim? Or do they indeed duplicate all these functions across the various sister companies and so are simply terribly inefficient? Um, you would expect that, that the chief executive would be able to provide a, a clearer picture here, but perhaps they have good reasons not to do so. But again, the key message here is whatever way sure decide to operate and structure the business, islanders have to pay for the cost, whatever it might be. And when we uh, heard in that interview a lot about these major upgrades, including uh, Amzans and DSLAMs, which might sound impressive, uh, but Islanders should be aware that this is not cutting-edge technology, but standard equipment. And what you are doing is, is introducing what's called a next-generation network, which simply means that you do no longer have separate equipment for telephone, broadband, and TV. But all these services are carried on the same uh, IP-based infrastructure. Uh, that concept is more than 20 years old. And, and here in Germany, for example, we have transitioned to NGN technology more than 15 years ago. So it's great that this technology is, is finally being introduced now, but um, it comes quite late, if you ask me. And it's not made to deliver better services to the island, but the primary objective to roll out that technology is to improve, improve costs for the operator. Um, but with what Whatever they come up now that their license renew, uh, renewal is, is reviewed, uh, you, sh you should take it with a, with a grain of, of salt. And, and the last topic uh, of this interview I want to touch on, and I'll leave it with that, is that of their unfair tariffs. They've been asked what the justification was to charge a 750% premium to a Gold Plus subscriber after they exceed their monthly data allowance. And they were quick to, to push responsibility to the customer and say they were not babysitting the customers. First of all, let me repeat uh, once more, what they do is not international standard, but an attempt to exploit the subscribers. The only fair and reasonable way to contain internet usage and make sure um, such a 
shared resource like the limited internet connection today is is uh, uh, distributed fairly is to either stop service once the data allowance is eaten up and give customers the option to uh, opt in and buy an additional um, data package or simply throttle bandwidth uh, to a lower level and that's how all the mobile operators structure their tariffs nowadays in Europe and there is no reason why not to do this on Centralina. And then uh, when they talk about uh, customers' responsibility, even a technically highly skilled person cannot foresee when his phone, tablet or computer starts downloading an update and how large that is. And obviously if that happens in the night, people have no way to check their balance and, and prevent in time a, a shock bill. So how can that be a customer's responsibility? And they try to, to push this uh, responsibility to the customer while at the same time acknowledging in the interview that not all, not all islanders have the highest technical skill set, which, by the way, is no surprise given how sure deter um, internet option through, through their business uh, conduct and their tariffs. So um, I've, I've, I think, you know, they are patronizing islanders and, and acting in an extremely arrogant way, pushing responsibilities to them while at the same time uh, setting up this, this coast trap intentionally. So this, this is absolutely not justifiable and shows what, what their stance is and what their attitude is towards the customer. And, and the fact that they insinuate in this interview that they would not remove data allowances and will not introduce unlimited internet access once the cable arrives is a clear and loud warning or should be a clear and loud warning to the island. So that is all I want to say to, about this interview, although I could say much more about it. Yeah, I just want to recap on what you said about the uh, single point of failure uh, reflecting on the article that Chris Gear wrote. And in fact, Chris is going to come on a podcast chat with me in the future. We have talked about uh, doing that very soon. One of the things that I think is worth mentioning is that SSG will identify as a high risk is that the current infrastructure is not owned by SSG, which means that if they do allow competition, then what would happen if the current provider decides it's not viable to remain in service on island. I want to talk a little bit around what would St. Helena residents benefit from having high-speed internet, regardless of who the supplier is. Well, the immediate benefit of the cable could be a boost in internet speed and, and the removal of any volume restric restrictions. So no more data allowance, but unlimited internet access day and night. And um, if and, and to what extent that will happen uh, initially depends to a high degree on sure, uh, who seem to be quite uh, reluctant to do that. Um, and eventually it's, it's a question how Centralina government will design the future regulatory regime and uh, how telecoms provision will work in the future. But um, if there was fast and unlimited internet access, which I hope will happen, then uh, that would open up countless opportunities. Uh, for example, people could work from their homes as call center agent for overseas companies. They 
could make use of the vast educational resources online. Um, the island could be better promoted as a tourist destination. Banking could be digitalized. Um, you know, uh, shops and restaurants could start accepting credit cards. Um, all, all that stuff that uh, relies on, on internet connectivity. Uh, it is important to realize that we are in a, in a critical time in the history of, of humanity as uh, billions of people are coming online and become able to engage in direct conversation with each other globally within seconds. And, and the cultural and economic influences um, that come with that will be amazing as uh, ideas will be flowing all around the world. Uh, um, this will create possibilities we, we can't even think of. And, and with the cable, uh, Santalina can be part of this. And um, yeah, so well, I see great opportunities. Uh, I would also warn, uh, want to warn from exaggerated expectations um, that the positive effects will take some time to materialize. And, and it also depends on how much uh, islanders educate themselves and adopt uh, internet and technology, which of course is also a question of affordability. Um, I, I do highly recommend, by the way, to, to take the opportunity and attend the various courses uh, offered by SHG, which again, I think do a fantastic job in how they prepare islanders. But what still needs to be uh, considered is the regulations and the future of the telecoms market. All of that, working from home, being a consultant for you know a company overseas, all all great. Do we have the infrastructure to support the high speed internet internally on Saint Helena? And what would it take to deliver that high speed internet? Uh, well, we've heard about that in the recent interview again. Currently, the technology used is called ADSL two plus. Um, that's based on the old copper-based telephone network. That technology can deliver up to 24 megabits, but only to households in the vicinity of the local exchange. Uh, with increasing length of the telephone line, uh, attenuation increases, and so drops um, the, the bandwidth in megabits. And after maybe three or four kilometers, you drop to a single megabits range, which would still be an improvement uh, compared to what, what islands have today, but um, not what's been considered as broadband internationally. In, in order to deliver higher speeds, the, the network definitely requires upgrades uh, to newer technologies such as uh, VDSL2 or, or GFest, um, and ideally, the copper-based network would be replaced by fiber, so fiber to the home, and that should should uh, you know, be rolled out in, in densely populated areas. Obviously, you can't bring fiber to each and every home, but um, definitely to to the to let's say um, Jamestown, um, Longwood, Half Tree Hollow. Um, in theory, decent data rates can also be provided over the four G network. Uh, it would also require substantial upgrades as there are not enough towers and also not en enough antennas installed today um, to support uh, high usage levels. Um, apart from the from the technical um, aspect, um, the big question mark uh, really is, is also the uh, future 
regulatory regime. In, in the, as pointed out earlier, um, the island is not operating, complying to international standards, and I don't see this happening in a telecoms monopoly. The issue I see also is that you can't predict how telecoms technically and commercially will develop over the next 10 years. So what has been done in the past awarding a 10 years contract or 10 years exclusive license and defining speeds, tariffs and all this, that's simply impossible because you can't foresee uh, what's happening in such a long time frame. You need to leave investment decisions and um, the, the entire network strategy to, to the market forces. Uh, of course, you still need some regulations. Thanks, Angelina is um, at a point where it has to transition into the 21st century and introduce a regulatory regime and a regulatory environment um, that allows competition. And so uh, what's called leapfrogging. So adopting technology, uh, state-of-the-art technology that actually makes existing technology redundant and skips the traditional way of network evolution. The cable is not far away. Well, what should government organizations be doing now to prepare for the cable delivery to the island? Um, again, I think they're already doing a great job by educating the public and implementing, uh, implementing safeguarding policies and procedures. They've secured uh, the cable landing, which is a fantastic achievement. As, as pointed out uh, before, um, big issue is regulations and making sure that islanders can benefit from the cable and that will only be possible under a liberalized telecoms market. And also the entire idea and concept of attracting ground stations hinges on a friendly and lax regulatory regime, uh, which is not compatible with a monopoly. Residential users are concerned about the costs of data connectivity. Obviously, with so many dependencies, whether we have a new uh, communications provider or multiple communications provider, do you think even with the cable, the data connectivity will be affordable? Well, that's that's a good question. Um, I think uh, it can be made absolutely affordable. Um, there are many projects around the world where the cost of, of telecommunications has been brought down to a very, very affordable level. But the question is really what the regulations look like and um, if new concepts, new business models um, can be established in, in Centralina. So I can only encourage SHG to open up the market or new entrants. I'm not saying that Chur should not get a license renewal. I'm just saying that the exclusivity and so the monopoly should go. So only if we make sure that new market entrants can come and try new concepts, try new technology, only then I see a, a fair and reasonable chance that telecoms and internet access will become affordable to all islanders. Let's talk a little bit around 
around business opportunities for companies who want to invest. And with high utility charges discourage larger companies from investing in St. Helena in the cable era? Well, when we talk about um, digital economy, um, anything that's uh, based on, on telecoms infrastructure that goes hand in hand with high electricity consumption, obviously the electricity tariffs in St. Helena today are extremely high and do deter such investments as power is often one of the largest costs of a um, telecoms company or any sort of IT company. I think Sean mentioned that as well. But at the same time, St. Helena is currently in a transformation process, trying to go 100% green, switching to renewables, reducing the dependency on fossil fuels and bringing new customers to the island that would increase the base load on Centelina's power grid would also mean they can accelerate the amortization of the ongoing renewables project and perhaps sooner allow it to expand this project and so sooner make this concept or idea of being 100% green make reality. So I think a balance must be found in how the electricity generation can still be sustainable, but at the same time, investors and businesses can still be attracted to the island. And other island nations like Mauritius or the French overseas territories actually have discounted electricity tariffs for bulk users, which I think is something that should be considered on Centelina as well. There is no other way uh, to attract um, such such businesses. We've talked a lot about all the exciting things the cable will bring. We've talked about all the great things that we could benefit if the price was right. And we've also talked about the challenges up ahead about getting the cable to the consumer. Are there any other risks with the cable connectivity? You've mentioned about the cable being uh, cut or there's a disconnection at the moment uh, near Angola for the West African and South African coast. What are the risks? Well, I mean, the moment you become part of the digital economy and make your living based on the internet, you obviously become dependent on the internet being actually available. So the risk of a cable cut is uh, considerably low for Centralina, and that is because the sea is very deep around Centralina, so there is no immediate hazard from anchors or fishing nets. And also the South Atlantic is seismically calm, and that's basically the biggest risks for submarine cables. Human aggression, seismic activity. Um, that's that's um, the two major factors that are ruled out for Centralina. And I see a fair chance that Centralina might get another cable. So, uh, and that not to serve islanders, but rather to interconnect any uh, such new cable with the existing one, which would allow the operators of these cables to interconnect and reroute traffic through Centralina to create shorter routes, but also to restore traffic in case of cable cuts as we have them right now in uh, uh, off the Angolan coast. So I hope that Centralino might attract another cable. Again, 
Whether another cable will be landed is also a question of the regulatory regime. Um, under the current terms, which give sure the exclusive right to lend any submarine cable, I don't think that a future cable will be landed additionally. But um, if if there is a lax and friendly regulatory regime, um, that, that um, dependency on that single cable can be removed. Um, other than the technical risk of a cable cut, obviously, um, the internet brings a couple of risks. So there's cybercrime, cyber attacks, there's abusive uh, content on the internet. Uh, but that's those are threats that are well known, that must be understood, uh, awareness must be raised. Uh, and I think the government is addressing that in the appropriate way. I see much more opportunities than risks here. And I think anyone would agree that, that the internet, despite it has brought some problems to the world, it has been a huge benefit and has unlocked so much socioeconomic development, uh, strengthened democracy around the world. And I think Centralina can only benefit particularly because of its isolation. I've just picked up something from what you've just mentioned. If, as an example, that exclusive rights was given to managing that cable in and around St. Helena, if in the future we wanted to have additional connectivity, say from South America, from another cable provider, surely that must bring problems in itself for any expansion. Absolutely. When you lend a cable, additional cable, first thing here is that ideally that cable would be landed in a different location, not, not at Rupert's, just in case something happens in Rupert's, that the other cable would still be operational. So but that other cable operator would want to interconnect with Google's cable in Rupert's. That means they also need some connectivity across the island. So some fiber routes. Um, and I don't see how the operator of this new cable be protected from random abusive pricing by show. Uh, and all the complexities that this adds, starting negotiations, um, having this uh, gatekeeper monopolist in the middle between you and the other cable, that adds, creates barriers that this industry tries to avoid. And there have been plenty of examples around the world where we're locations, particularly in the Middle East, that are ideally located from a geographical perspective to become cable hubs. And they've failed miserably because of the regulatory environment, because there was a monopoly or there was a duopoly, uh, and the market forces were suppressed by some sort of cartel. Christian, thank you ever so much for your time. And I appreciate the amount of time you've taken on this podcast chat today. I have two final points I want to discuss with you. And that is, have you seen similar locations or destinations with similar connectivity? And have you seen any economical growth? Are there any examples? Um, there are actually plenty of examples. And I encourage you to do a quick Google search there. There is examples in the Pacific Ocean, but also also uh, on the African continent, uh, which have seen significant economic growth. There are several studies show that every percent of increased internet adoption among the population brings a 5% increase GDP. So this is a proven fact that internet unlocks economic development. It's not the cable itself. It must be internet access that's delivered to actual um, to the actual subscribers or consumers on the island. So um, I don't have a, a specific example uh, right right now uh, in the back of my mind, but it's uh, been studied by the World Bank and many other development funding institutions. And I'm sure Centralina uh, will be no different, rather the opposite. Thank you. Just for listeners, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and also Google Podcasts. What are the next steps 
in the process for the delivery of the cable to St. Helena by 2022. Well, um, as you might have seen, the planning permission has been filed for the cable landing station. I think the um, environmental impact assessment. So the next step is, is really the cable being manufactured and the laying works uh, to start sometime perhaps next year. I guess it will take uh, around a full year for the cable laying operation to be completed. And I, I, and I hope um, the cable laying ship call it St. Helena perhaps before end of next year even, although the operation might start uh, later. Christian, thank you ever so much for joining the St. Helena podcast and we look forward to seeing you in St. Helena soon. Thank you very much, Johnny, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. You've been listening to the St. Helena Podcast. We want to thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to us. You can also contact us, podcast at welovesthelena.com. Support us by sharing our podcasts with others. Until next time, have a great week.